Welcome and thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce and your co-host uh, for the next hour. Uh, Disrupt TV is a weekly show where we learn from some of the best and brightest executives on topics of leadership, business, technology, and innovation across several industries. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. You can send Ray and I and our distinguished guests your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, ZDNet, and other publication. And uh, in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter, at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm joined here by my co-host, Bala Afshar. As you guys all know, the chief digital evangelist at Salesforce, number one CIO influencer, number one CMO influencer, a rare treat uh, in the uh, Twitter world, and definitely someone to follow. Follow him at Bala Afshar, V-A-L-A-A-F-S-H-A-R. Uh, big contributor in the past to Huffington Post, more importantly, author and humanitarian. So, all right, Bala, <laughs> great. who do we have next? Speaking of humanitarian, we are delighted to have Monique Morrow, president and co-founder of the Humanized Internet as our first guest. Monique is a chief technology strategist. She was uh, previously Cisco's chief technology officer of services, uh, where she was responsible for aligning Cisco services technology vision and architecture with business strategy. She's also co-founder and president of the Humanized Internet, a Swiss-based nonprofit focused on digital identity for 1.1 billion people. And we're gonna learn a lot about that in the next 20 minutes. Monique has a track record of co-innovating with customers, developing solutions that have transcended the globe from North America, Europe, and Asia. She was 2017 recipient of the DECA International Entrepreneurial Spirit Award. Uh, she has been recognized as Business Worldwide Magazine's 2016 Visionary of the Year for Technology, Social Change, and Ethics. She's also been named a top 10 influential IT woman in Europe. You can follow Monique on Twitter at Monique J. Morrow, M-O-R-R-O-W. Welcome, Monique, to Disrupt TV. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, Vala. Thank you so very, very much. And thank you also, Ray and team. Hey, this is wonderful. I think last we thought, I think we were sitting out in the snow in Davos, right? Oh, that's correct. Uh, yes, we were. We were talking about, uh, what, uh, leadership uh, in the uh, fourth, fourth industrial uh, internet. Yes. Yeah, no, so we were talking about that. That was kind of hot. Um, blockchain was like the top topic that was going on. But you were just uh, starting to talk about identity and sovereignty yeah. and people floating around. And one sure. of the big issues that you've been talking about is and evangelizing is this notion of a sovereign EID, given the fact that uh, it's really important for people that you know, might not have uh, a, a way to prove who they are. So let's start with there and talk a little bit more about that project, sure. why you got involved, why is that so important? Right. So, yeah, indeed. I mean, if we think about it, uh, the, the, the challenge that we have is providing some notion of a digital identification for those people who don't have it. So as Vala had started out, it was 1.1 billion people who are uh, actually, um, you know, in the refugee category, if you want to talk, talk about that, and 10 million people who happen to be stateless. So you have individuals who do not have some uh, notion of a digital identification. Uh, or they don't they are not even identified in the in the first place because of situations such as war or or whatever that you you can imagine that uh, is is horrific 
The other component of this discussion is also around a, a sovereign identification, which is really the big uh, Trojan horse in this, in this entire discussion. Um, but what we want to be able to think about, because the identity space is so, so crowded, uh, everybody is working in the identity space. And if you think about blockchain, that's also what's found, foundational there is identity. So what we want to be able to prove, and here's the thesis here, could you imagine proving a providence of X and Y, who you are or your certification? We talked about a little about, about this when we were in Davos together, uh, who would be, you know, what would be the validators uh, involved in that, in that process? And so the implication here is that you would have, uh, you could use blockchain, you could use some notion of uh, uh, artificial intelligence, but the in implication is what happens when the institution that you trust uh, um, no longer exists. Okay. <laughs> Think about that for one minute. The institution you trust and trust becomes a very, very big component in this discussion. How does, you know, a VALA or how does a Ray prove who you are? Number one, your birth certificate's been lost. Uh, you don't have any, any notion of uh, identification overall. And we tend to, we tend to trust centralized entities over, let's say, this notion of distributed. And then, of course, you get into a lot of tenets around uh, philosophy here in terms of uh, what happens when uh, institutions are centralized versus decentralized and so on. True. So that is the thesis. That's what we're, what we're dealing here uh, with at the end of the day. And so what you have are, you know, it's, it's, it's what happens one day you wake up, you have nothing. Uh, wow. You cannot prove it. You cannot prove a, that you were a doctor. You could cannot, be a hurricane. Could be a fire. Could be disaster. Could, exactly. I mean, it, it, we're, we're talking about all of that. And, and, and so what happens? I mean, you, you, you get up one day and you don't have it anymore. The, the institutions no longer exist. And so what we have to think, we have to think about this problem space of provenance of identity sets in a different way. And so, yes, it's, it's easy to, it's, I'm not going to say easy, it's, it's a very hairy problem to start with those who, are, who don't have it. Uh, but on the other hand, we have to think about the bigger picture for all of us in a, in a very, very, uh, we'll, we'll call it a very creative way. And we need to think about that. What does digital society look like? I mean, yeah. this is going to be at, that at the, at the end of the day. We see countries kind of experimenting in this space, like Estonia and or Singapore. But... Um, you know, this is this. These are at a nation state level. But here's the really big, big bang. The big bang is what if it is you who get you, you have those digital sets and you choose to share with whatever entity you want to share with in terms of pairing that identity set that is putting the human in the center of this discussion rather the other way around. Sure, sure. Uh, we have certainly recently, very recently, have uh, recognized the impact of technology on society and, and, uh, and a clear demonstration of, uh, of a trust deficit that exists. Yep. Where companies are, uh, and these are some of the biggest companies in the world, are unaware of things that are happening on their platform. So, you know, as you and Ray spent time at Davos with some of the uh, most influential company leaders and, and organizations. Did you walk away more inspired that technologies like blockchain and uh, the use of AI to better go govern uh, use of uh, data across various platforms um, uh, are, 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 are more aligned in terms of creating this trusted 
um, ID system where folks can take leverage leverage technology and, and be able to identify themselves in, a, in an accurate manner? Well, no, not really. I mean, I, I will be very, very forthright because you've got folks who want to make a business out of this, but there is another notion of it. And I will say ethics and governance is going to be 21st century oil, if you want to sort of paraphrase other, uh, other phrases. Uh, we know uh, just uh, in, in events of the last couple of weeks what uh, what abuse can look like. You need to be in control. And um, so the other area that I do care, but care about deeply, which is tendentially related, is this notion of ethics and AI and uh, and intelligent systems and you know the, the notion of governance behind it. We can talk about algorithmic decision making and human rights. You know, you got you start to get into that sway, and then what happens? The, the situation is that we're very very close to abuse if we're not careful. We've already seen that. You don't know, you know, we is, can talk is this about intentional or unintentional. In other words, are, are, are the biases that we have make it into these algorithms because we don't have the diversity that we need and the core values where trust is number one or so is it unintentional or 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 or. or uh, it's, an it's an excellent question, Vala, in the sense of how you, you know, I've talked about this before because I'm also involved for you and Ray to know and the team. And our audience. I'm also in IEEE Ethics and Autonomous Intelligence Systems, and I'm a co-chair of the Mixed Reality Committee. So if you think about, just going back to your question, if you think about when you develop a technology, you probably need to think, one of the, one of the uh, discussions we are having is you need to articulate the intentional use of that technology and the governance. Just as uh, one has a pack of cigarettes, it is usually communicated that it could cause cancer if you, it could cause, right? There's this sort of attention uh, if you don't use technology in such a way. And I believe, and not only I, but the group of us believe that you need to be very, very transparent in communicating that. And if not, what happens is that you get it, it's a fine line between going into what we'll call abusive situations mm. where uh, you're not, uh, you're not in the loop at all. And the, and then it goes to the situation of, well, we're all, we're all pulsating information. Do we care about it? And the answer is, I think we should. No, we definitely should. I mean, one of the things that we've been looking at, um, we identify a couple of things that were important in level one AI systems that just at least in the beginning were that the algorithms were transparent, um, things were explainable. Uh, decisions were reversible, uh, and these were coachable uh, systems, and then more important, they were human-led and human-driven in the end. Uh, we're not sure if we missed any, but uh, it might be similar to some of the work that you're doing. Yes, indeed. And so when we uh, put it together back to the humanized internet, uh, you know, the tenets and thesis, especially when we're talking about digital sovereignty and those who, um, who are underserved, you have to think about people in some cases, in the cases of war, they are fleeing uh, despotic governments, or they're fleeing uh, a terrible situation. I mean, and so if you have something that is a centralized database that is, um, uh, you know, apt for, for abuse and, and could be hacked. So the yes. other point that we have to care about is this notion of what is cybersecurity constructs and privacy constructs look like. Uh, and we have to kind of, and when you put them all together, you're talking about many identity sets. You, you have an online identity. Uh, we've got and uh, digital identity sets. And then of course, what would digital identity look like when you're uh, in some level of control? And I think that's the, the most important uh, you know, uh, thing that we have to think so, about. So, so related to that, right, as we think about this, I mean, um, when do we get back the 31st human right, right, of digital, yes. 
right? Yeah. Where, where, where our data, personal data becomes, right? You know, the UN has 30 human rights. How do we get to that 31st human right where, you know, we, we take back control of that? Because that is cybersecurity, ethics, AI, and sovereignty ID all in the one. Oh, yes. And, and I mean, right now, this is um, uh, just it's a, a great question. And uh, in terms of it is so poignant right uh, at this point in time and so relevant, uh, especially when we're talking about this notion of, you know, uh, human rights, even in the IETF, the Internet Engineering Task Force, they have a research organization that's looking at the human rights protocol. And so we definitely there is this topic is to, uh, top of mind for all of us. And uh, so having a, that, that whole digital human rights uh, is, is a call for action for, 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 uh, for the entire uh, community and, to, to, and for all of us. And, and, and then that has implications of whether or not the, the institutions as we know it are valid institutions. I mean, are they serving us in a, in a way that we need to be served? And if we're in the 21st century, we need to think about what a digital human rights um, you know, uh, call to action can be, and we we really uh, that's what we're seeing in, across across organizations now, which is a positive thing. I need to connect you with Miguel Gamino, one of our BT one hundred and fifty winners. He's um, been penning Wonderful. something like that. Uh, he's the CTO of New York City at the moment. So that, is, yeah. that would be super. That would be super. I mean, look, you know, this whole uh, this whole topic is 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 really really uh, important. Um, we have tools in our toolbox to think about, especially if you're talking about provenance and becoming distributed uh, organizations that could be in, in an example blockchain enabled, like BlockCerts, uh, which is you know uh, 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 open source. You can think about that. What happens when your organization no longer exists? I mean, that's what we talked about in the very very beginning. And so, um, and with it, I think these 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 entities that we have, these online digital entity uh, identities, uh, and the the uh, tr the intersection to human rights is has to be core to whatever we do. We have seen how much of a fine line it takes to taint a brand when you're not careful, and and we need to be. You know, it's easy for us to blame, but we need to be on top of it also as, as uh, you know, consumers and individuals. Absolutely, absolutely. It's in, a, in a hyper-connected knowledge-sharing economy, digital economy, companies are finding out that their culture is their brand. And what they stand for is more of a brand uh, impact than the product or service that they deliver. It's going back to the ethics in AI and human-oriented, uh, uh, algorithms and biases that exist and my comment in terms of lack of diversity that exists in companies i know you have passionately been an advocate for women in technology and stem uh, science technology engineering mathematics as curriculum to you know to for the future of work and enabling leaders to really be um, uh, uh, capable to to contribute in the fourth industrial revolution which was the theme at davos uh, and, and specifically women entrepreneurs. So you co-produced a documentary called She Started It. Can you yep. tell, us, tell us about it? We want to know what, what it is and, 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 and what has been the outcome of this, uh, this documentary. So, yeah, so I mean, uh, kudos to the filmmakers, Nora, Nora Poggi and Encia. Uh, this is, uh, She Started It, uh, follows the track of five uh, female entrepreneurs and uh, their journey. And, and and how tough it is, especially if you're a woman in tech or you're a woman entrepreneur in a tech zone, how tough it is for these, how tough it has, has 
has been for women entrepreneurs overall. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the biases that come into play, you saw, start to see the biases that come into play even at the home, home level. And so, um, and, and, and there's, this, there's this fight, I almost say battle of persistence, you know, to, 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 to persist as a female entrepreneur. And it's, uh, it's constant. And, you know, I just, uh, I just came in from an event uh, a week ago in, in San Gallen, and we were talking about uh, on a panel on female entrepreneurs and, and, and so on. And it's still a hot topic, uh, especially for, for women in, in, in technology. I also, you know, I always say this, I believe that we, uh, we will be okay when we don't have to talk about it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I know that this sounds uh, a bit, um, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, tongue in cheek, cheek but it, it's, it's so true. We're constantly talking about it. Let's just face it, you do have people who are individuals who, who uh, especially women, who have done remarkable things, women in color, of color, women of different ethnic backgrounds, back in history, we can go back, I mean, Jesus, just name Ada Lovelace, and then you got that. <laughs> uh, so it's not like you don't have it. And uh, I think the one thing that I also talked about, too, was the fact that uh, just recently, I, I, I'm sure you all heard about it, it was quoted also in the press, you know, um, we had a, uh, there was a blockchain conference in, in Miami, and I think there were 88 sessions, 85 sessions, I believe, were chaired by, by, by men. And, um, you know, uh, then you had, uh, then you had the party, uh, the celebratory party occur at a strip club. Now, how does a woman entrepreneur feel in that environment? I mean, it's just, you know, this is the type of thing when we're talking about uh, inclusion, we need to think about the power of the ant here. This is not an or. And so these women, and, and she started it, and please do take a look. Please do uh, get the documentary or uh, look at the documentary. It's in your backyard, uh, some of most of these women. They have constantly battled. And, um, and uh, some of them uh, live in other countries. And, it, and they're judged and assessed in a different way. And it's not, it's not, there's not a leveling play, uh, field out there. So uh, part of the problem is it's, it's very complex. As I said, it's at, com, uh, you know, it's at the home level. Part of it is, uh, is not. And so um, if you have, what you have is this, this pattern of, uh, of, of uh, great exuberance to do wonderful work and uh, to be to create your own brand, and if only we could do that. And by the way, going back to the blockchain uh, uh, example, what they found, uh, and this was Michelle saying, uh, she published a wonderful Medium article about it. What they found is the following: uh, what she found, there are 200 plus uh, women in in the crypto blockchain world. Now you could say, is that or should we applaud that? Not necessarily. There, there's, there should be more. Uh, but what they found that they are, they like to be on panels and um, uh, they uh, like to be recognized and they're, recogni and they're recommended by men. So that's, a, that's also a good thing. So I'm yeah, no, we definitely see that. And uh, we definitely had that uh, on our, our blockchain panel as well in Davos. Uh, you saw that, but uh, we're definitely seeing, uh, you know, uh, at least some recognition. Think about like Catherine Johnson, Catherine Coleman Johnson, right? Yes, one of the mathematicians absolutely. for NASA. I mean, so yeah. we're definitely seeing that. We are here live with Monique Moreau, president and co-founder at the Humanized Internet, a wonderful CCE uh, alum and participant, and now a disruptive show alum. You can follow her at Monique Moreau, M O N I Q U E M O. Oh, there's a J there. J M O R. Put that J there. <laughs> Make sure that J is in there, right? Yeah. And uh, 
We love lovely to have you here live from Zurich. Thank you for being on the show. Thank so you so much. CC October twenty second to twenty fifth. I'm sure Steve will grab you again for identity and of course a blockchain panel. Yes, and and just remember one thing: always ask the question. Right? Um, we are living in a trust uh, deficit, and uh, uh, this is also an opportunity for great inventions. Uh, so I think that we're going to see more and more of that, especially when we talk about digital sovereign identity. We're in the last word on trust. Vala. It's all about trust, Vala. What do we do? Absolutely. Thank you so much. We could have talked to you for an entire hour. Thank you very okay. much. Okay. You're more than welcome. Have a good for, one. For joining us. Bye-bye. Oh, well, speaking about trust, you know, one of the most trusted names and in, uh, in technology is coming up next, I believe. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised he's even home, given the uh, craziness <laughs> that was going on in Las Vegas for, for one of the yeah. biggest events uh, his company's ever thrown. So Yeah, my screen was full of Think 2018 wisdom. It was awesome. It was awesome. So we're delighted to have Vijay Vijayasankar, Chief Technology Officer, IBM Services North America as our next guest. Vijay is a technologist at heart and is a hands-on developer. His current focus includes artificial intelligence, robotics, cloud, and quantum computing. Before he was the CTO role at IBM Services, Vijay was the general manager at Cognitive Business Decisions in North America. Prior to IBM, he was a general manager of MongoDB and global vice president of engineering at SAP Labs. He's an avid blogger. Check out his blogs at andvjsays.com. And he can be found on Twitter and another must follow because we only invite must follows on our show. At <laughs> v, I'll spell it uh, V I J A Y A S A N K A R V, V for Vala. <laughs> so welcome, welcome, VJ. Not for VJ, but for Vala. That's where we're at. For VJ. I love I it. I said that. Welcome, welcome to the Shop TV. Yeah, well, <laughs> thank, thanks for having me, guys. Really, hey, really. Where, where are you? That is like yeah, picture-perfect yeah, exactly. postcard background. What, what are we looking at here? For, for, a, for, a, for a change, I'm, I'm home today. Um, and often. you have fresh air, right? You can, did you actually get out of the, the facility this week? <laughs> So I did, right? We had meetings across like four hotels. So every day I was like jogging across four hotels. Yeah, I had more exercise than I, I ever had in my life. My feet are killing. That's awesome. Get those 10,000 steps every day. That's very cool. Oh yeah, 10,000 steps were like every three hours. It was just a lot. Well, BJ, Congratulations. That sounds like an awesome conference. Exactly. Awesome well, BJ, it was one of the biggest conferences you have, but let's talk a little bit first about your role as CTO. And you're also the IBM senior state executive for your state, the state of Arizona. So let's, let's get, jump in a little bit about this. Like why do they need a CTO at IBM Global Services? Ah, uh, interesting, uh, interesting question there, right? So we, we are a large technology company, right? People typically hire us for uh, technology expertise, but there's just so many of it, right? Like we have like 40 different practices around different technology groupings, right? There's an SAP practice, an Oracle practice, AI practice. I, I used to be in many of those myself as a consultant. I have run many of those businesses in the past. But as time progressed, right, there are hardly any projects that just fit any one practice or any one technology. Mm -hmm. Usually a convergence of technologies that, that make solutions happen for our clients. Um, and that needs some technology leadership to uh, cut across all these boundaries. Uh, so that's essentially, essentially my job. Right? I'm, I'm not a, a general manager. I'm not a P&L carrying person anymore. Uh, my job is strictly to, to make sure that we provide uh, technology guidance and leadership 
across all all these areas that we play in and most of the time you know i i'm i'm with clients uh, so it is uh, a rarity that i'm i'm spending a working day at home so and, and to, to be honest thoroughly enjoying it too <laughs> well, you know well deserved after hosting 40,000 plus people in one look at, place. Look at that background, Bala. We got to do better. I know, I know. I definitely got to do better. You look professorial and Vijay looks like he's in heaven. So, 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 okay. So you come back, so, so you host 40,000, you know, of top companies, top executives. What were some of the sentiments among, among these? And I saw, you know, through the social stream, chief executive, chief information, chief revenue, chief digital. I don't think there was a line of business that was missing for sure. Chief human resource and so on and so forth. What are they thinking about? What, what, what are some of the opportunities and challenges? And was there an aha moment for you as you engaged with 40,000 business leaders trying to, you know, find ways to compete and win? Yeah, so uh, it was a large conference, right? We combined all our regular conference into this one humongous event. Uh, Monday was a little bit hard for us, given you know just getting used to the logistics of getting from A to B uh, with a, with a lot of people. But I spent about I don't know ninety five percent of my time in um, in client meetings. I met several CEOs, um, CXOs of various flavors across industries. What was very different this time from our usual conferences? The usual conferences, I spend at least half my time explaining the art of the possible, right? Mm -hmm. um, giving them options to choose from and so on. Whereas this time, it seemed barely in like 10, 20% of the time uh, around like quantum computing or the more advanced concepts in AI and so on. We had to go through that kind of conversation. But 80% of the time, Clients were already there, right? I mean, they had live projects going on. Uh, AI is not uh, some kind of futuristic topic. IoT is not some kind of futuristic topic. Uh, there are robots in, in many of their companies, either of the software kind or uh, the physical, uh, mechanical kind. Right. So uh, people are past that, that point. So there are good meaty discussions. When you go to the whiteboard, you are not talking in terms of just concepts, right? You are walking through, okay, these are the 10 things I do in my business. These are the three areas where we have tried something. Um, so it was a much more in-depth, uh, meaningful, use case-driven conversation where we were talking in the present and future, not in terms of just future alone, right? So that that was my, my big aha moment. I did not expect to see it in the 80% case. So it was a, a very pleasant surprise to say. Awesome. Yeah, you know, I, I would I would second that. I mean, I think the the customers for the first time. I mean, they were ready. Right? Yeah, and they were ready mentally. They were ready at the board level. They were ready to to actually go out and just disrupt, right? And and I haven't I haven't seen that in a while. I mean, it's and I think the economy uh, where people are in terms of the maturity of the projects and just you know just the awareness of what's happening. It's a very different story. And and so where would you put that in terms of the state of digital transformation then? So I, I think digital transformation, you know, the, all the stuff that we have all uh, talked about and uh, occasionally made fun of. I mean, I've made fun of it a long time. Oh, come on, I built the whole business <laughs> on this. Don't make fun of it yet. <laughs> so uh, I, I think it is happening, right? And and consequently, uh, we don't call it digital transformation. I mean, the term didn't come across. I, I don't remember even it uh, coming up in a discussion once, right? Which is usually a good sign that it is actually happening and it's not like some kind of a... Um, uh, an abstract concept. Uh, people are talking in terms of actual projects, actual um, transformation initiatives. Many uh, people just don't refer to it as digital transformation anymore. 
that said, there are a few areas where um, you know hype is still uh, a little bit of an inhibition in getting things done, sure. um, right? Like in in terms of uh, process automation, there is like no hype. Everybody already knows what what it is. Come on, it's all RPA. Don't even worry about it. Right, exactly. <laughs> Whereas in quantum computing, on the other hand, there is still a lot of misunderstanding on on what it is, right? On whether it will actually replace um, classic computers and it takes a little bit of time and um, it, it it's for a simple reason that uh, it also needs a, a, a an appreciation of physics on how it is different sure, and sure. that takes a, a a 10 minute overview so then you know we get to the same page and uh, i i enjoy doing those sessions a lot as the cto i can imagine <laughs> but let's you know you gave a you gave a, a ratio of 80 20 where 80 percent are planning doing and 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 actually have their you know their 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 sleeves rolled up and in, in, in the middle of of, of projects. Can you give me a ratio in terms of and maybe specifically to CEOs, although it may be other line of business executives, how many are talking about business model innovation? They're not just trying to modernize an existing call center or marketing or sales or manufacturing, but they're actually thinking about how do I leverage AI, IoT, blockchain, whatever it may be, to really bring incremental revenue to my business and go after a market that may not exist or a capability that's not in every major company that they're competing against? So um, not, not everybody that I had an opportunity to meet was a CEO, but I could more or less uh, say for certain that at the CEO level, Practically every CEO is talking about a, a business model disruption, right? I mean, there is a, a healthy dose of fear that if they don't uh, do that now, you know, somebody else will do it and um, it might happen in unforeseen uh, speed and impact. So um, at the CEO level, there is no, um, no dearth of opportunity there. Right? I mean, they're, they're all uh, thinking the right way. Uh, that is not universally true for all CXOs though. Uh, because many of them have a business to run and are measured on um, hard metrics, right? And uh, short-term metrics. So they have to keep that running and balance innovation initiatives. So they're the classic 80-20 of, I need to spend 80% of my time on uh, keeping the business running. Yeah. So only have 20% time left for innovation. Um, and, and technology is not the, the, the major difficulty there, right? I mean, people generally believe that technology is mature enough to start doing good things. It's mostly, a, um, I think, a metrics leadership strategy type thing. My general walking away um, thought from, from Think was that perhaps the boards of, of these big companies need to step in a lot more actively. Uh, and yes. rethink. Oh, my God. We need board re-education. I mean, yeah. I, I, I just want to go out and sometimes like say, you know, read, get on Linda. Oh, wait, they wouldn't know how to do that. Get on Linda.com and, <laughs> and at least get something done, right? Or, or, I mean, get on Trailhead. I mean, get on something, right? Get, get on a Bluemix. I mean, find something, right? But yeah, it, it, exactly so right. right? I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't blame my CXO clients one bit for this reason, right? If you're held responsible for a, a very rigid strategy, uh, then you shouldn't be punished for not doing something more. 
So no, I, we've I don't got think... to help these boards. We've got to help these boards understand that these are do or die moments. You don't want to have a Kodak moment. These are business extinction events that are happening that, 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 that people have to get to, not to sound like Chicken Little. Now, that being said, <laughs> that being In said. Netflix or Uber or Airbnb or, you know, you, Amazon. I mean, you can just go on and on. I mean, that, that, that being said, though, VJ, I mean, the, the hottest announcements that came out of uh, the event were, were Quantum, right? Yep. That, that chip that you guys have, that's like, I mean, I don't know how big that thing was for massive computing power. Um, yep. And really all the conversations about where AI has succeeded. So um, are companies ready for AI? So, yeah, yeah. So uh, companies are, are ready and uh, many of them already have AI live in production. Many of them don't call it AI though. Um, it's, you know, many of them started with like customer service type scenarios where, you know, chatbots and chatbots, not all chatbots are, you know, exactly AI, right? Many of them have nothing to do with AI. They do uh, more, uh, let's say, trivial um, ways of handling it. But nevertheless, AI finds its way into, into more mainstream projects. Um, one of my personal areas of interest these days is on the unstructured uh, text and uh, video and so on. Uh, because a lot of, um, lot of conversations these days are non-traditional in nature, like, um, you, you know, you have a lot of video footage. Um, can you make um, you know, intelligent uh, insights from, from the video footage? Um, there is text. Um, the first generation of AI projects generally failed to give ROI in a, a decent amount of time mm -hmm. because you cannot pull out SMEs from their day job to annotate text for AI to learn. Right. So, you know, we would get criticized for things like, oh, you know, wonderful idea. You know, your proof of concept works really great, but it takes a long time to go to production because, you know, you uh, it, AI system needs a lot of time to learn. So, but and that is changing now. Right. Because we have uh, better IP now to uh, train systems faster um, because the system can learn with less and less human input now. And that's a good thing. Right. That will mean an exponential acceleration on how fast companies can can make use of it. So yeah, in, in general, I feel a lot more comfortable in 2018 saying that this is a reality than I was in say 2016. Wow, that, that is a big shift. I mean, think about like way, way back, like the, the very mature companies like yourselves, um, like the Oracles, like other organizations, they were all very, very cautious about talking about AI because they've seen all the different winters of AI. They've seen all the different pieces and, and spent a lot of time saying that this isn't AI, whereas, um, the rest of the market pretty much said, no, we're, we're headed in that direction. And, and I think that helped move the needle as well. Both factors. Yeah, uh, uh, totally. And it, to, to say when I say 80% of companies are, are ready or, or in, in doing that, it is not to say that 80% of the companies are doing it mainstream across the board. 80% of the companies are doing something about it. In many cases, um, because POCs happen in, in isolation, um, Sometimes we get into ridiculous situations where it's a 10 step process and you made step number four and step number eight amazing, uh, but the overall process doesn't seem uh, to have much of an impact because you haven't thought it through end to end. Um, I'm not going to hold it against as an AI problem. It is just an organization and process problem. It will get there. I mean, every project I mean, back in ERP days or mainframe days, uh, we had similar, uh, similar patterns emerge. So, I think we are just definitely trending in the right direction. I just don't want to give a, uh, the wrong feeling that somehow 80% of the companies are using it mainstream across the board. That's clearly not what I meant. 
Sure, sure. So, so uh, Vijay, advice to other uh, chief technology offices in terms of you've got a complex portfolio that you're trying to understand and then ultimately advise your clients across AI, robotics, cloud, and, 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 and quantum computing. Where do you go to learn about the latest innovation and trends and use cases? Certainly, I know you spend a lot of time with customers and in the field, but in general, can you give advice in terms of CTOs of companies, whether they're technology companies or otherwise, although I guess all three would agree that all companies are technology companies. Where, <laughs> where should CTOs spend their time so that you know, they don't miss the, the wave of innovation that could ultimately disrupt them and, and get them out of the market? I, I'll, I'll say two things, right? I mean, not, not as an advice, as a suggestion. I uh, almost never feel qualified to, to advise fellow CTOs. But, or, or, or anyone else for that matter. Uh, two, two, two things, right? I mean, or maybe three things. One, as you rightly pointed out, right? learning from customers, there is no um, substitute to that, right? You are, you are in the real world and, you know, then block diagrams and you cannot say things like, you know, two rectangles point an arrow between them and say insights or data, you know, that doesn't work. Um, second problem, uh, technology today needs a, a much better understanding of uh, first principles. So, I spent my available time, at least half of it, relearning math and physics and so on. Um, and that is helping me a ton. And you, you walk into quantum computing or advanced AI and you don't have an appreciation of the first principles. What would happen is either you buy into the hype or you don't question it enough. Mm. Uh, so I think gaining a, a first principles understanding is something that I would highly encourage CTOs to do. Last point I would make is cross-industry knowledge, right? So... Uh, telcos want all to be entertainment companies. Entertainment companies want to be retailers and so on. So you cannot look at the leader in the entertainment company to learn how to be a retailer. You should look at the best retailers to learn how to do it. So I would totally encourage uh, my, my fellow CTOs to look across the board to, uh, to other industries and, and learn from what they're doing and not just look at what leaders in their own industries are doing. So that, those would be the three things. Sage advice and a quick follow-up of the industries that you have covered, uh, and I suspect those are all, uh, is there one that stands out in terms of being a, really a leading uh, adopter of, let's say, AI, as an example? Um, which are the ones that are really doing some real meaningful work with machine learning, deep learning, natural language processing, and all the other derivatives? The, yeah. the most common example would be financial services. They generally okay. led the way on, on AI. The more uh, shocking one that most n n not a lot of people might appreciate is government, right? Government has been uh, yeah. on the cutting edge. Government just doesn't have an incentive to talk a lot about it, um, you know, like um, uh, commercial companies. But government has been on the forefront, not just on AI. Like if you look at data management, right? All these NoSQL databases that are big companies now, uh, they all got their uh, big starts in government projects and uh, because of other, and, and I can't talk a lot about sure. <laughs> there either, but government is an underappreciated innovator that there's a lot that happens there, both at federal and local levels. And um, it, it's underappreciated. Yeah. In the next Disrupt TV show with security clearance, we'll be talking about, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> we're not going to do that. I, I don't I want it to go for that. Um, so, hey, we hit the last point and with Monique as well, and, and this is one that's been coming up a lot, and I know you're passionate about this, yeah. ethics, privacy, legal constraints in today's tech. Um, you know, will we see data privacy as a human right in our lifetime? 
So interestingly, um, I don't know if you if you noticed that uh, August of last year, 2017, the Indian Supreme Court had a, a 9-0 verdict, right? Unanimous nine verdict. Yeah, unanimous verdict that uh, privacy is a fundamental right. Um, and the Chief Justice of India actually used um, an article written by a former Chief Justice in US uh, to make this point that right to privacy is the right to be left alone. And it is it is important. So given India is the largest democracy um, in the world, I would assume that uh, that will set, a, set the right precedent. It, it is absolutely required, right? And I generally am not a fan of waiting for laws to catch up. The legal things will take some time, right? Eventually, I think it will all trend and, you know, bad incidents will keep happening. So governments you know, and legislators, their hands will be forced at some point. But there is no reason to wait for government to get its act together. As, um, technology leaders, right, as, as industry leaders, it, it's on us to, to say that, okay, this is the right thing. It's, it's not a complicated uh, matter. Uh, there are complications. It's not like complications beyond human comprehension. Mm -hmm. This is, should be done. We should take the initiative. We should not wait for somebody else to solve it. Yeah, Article 21 hold or held in India, and that was yeah. a big deal. So, yeah. hey, live here with Vijay Vijay Sank Vijay Vijaya Sankar, Chief Technology Officer, IBM Services North America, and also the IBM Senior State Executive for Arizona, a member of the enterprise, a regulars, one of my alum, and of course, you can follow him at Vijay Sankarv um, with a V at the end for Vala or Vijay. <laughs> what are you you Thanks gotta come back. Here. You were terrific. You really were terrific. We'd love to have you come back. You were terrific. Thank you so much. Right. And we wanted it. background. We, we, you know what we're gonna, we're gonna flip backgrounds next time. <laughs> Look at the cloud over his head. Oh, it's so awesome. of that. I mean, he's totally in the clouds with cloud computing. You don't have to do anything. And it's like a real fluffy cloud, not like the ones that we always <laughs> conference. That's like a real cloud. Yeah, yeah. Here, here, my my colleagues will not have the. This is the true cloud. <laughs> <laughs> You've been seeing those ads in the airport. The Club. That's something at those airport ads. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, someone's paying for them and it's working. But yeah. we also have Esteban, a fellow EI, as he you might get a little overlap here as a, if we pop this up <laughs> if we see him. But yeah, you know, this is uh, this has been great. Thank you for being on the show. All right, thank you guys. Thank Appreciate you. it. Bye bye. Bye. All um, right. He was terrific. He was terrific. Oh, speaking of terrific, dude, what's with the glasses? <laughs> the, the, where are we, man? It's like a flashback <laughs> to the seventies. What, what's this? Is awesome. Before before we get uh, our conversation <laughs> going with one of the top researchers, thought leaders in the world, uh, we're here with uh, Esteban Kolsky, principal and founder of ThinkJar. Thinkjar, T-H-I-N-K-J-A-R. Esteban uh, has, for 27 years, has been in customer-facing positions, 18 of those years as an analyst, eight with Gartner. He doesn't like when I talk about his background, <laughs> but I'm gonna do so anyway. So there's no better uh, person to, to engage with if you wanna talk, to learn and get advice on enterprise software, CRM, customer experience, and some of these emerging technologies we've been talking about, including AI, blockchain, and otherwise. I would say you can follow him on Twitter because I'm hoping he comes back, but more at E. Kolsky. But definitely get on ThinkJar and read his blogs because he's, uh, he's an exceptional blogger. Thank you and welcome uh, Esteban to Disruptive Week. Thank you, and no, I'm never coming back to Twitter. And I, 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 I stand by my decision eight years ago, six years ago, sorry, six years ago, 
to get out of Facebook. So, well, live <laughs> exclusive like video interview here with uh, on Disrupt TV show. Thanks for joining us. So, my pleasure. How are you? Why was, is it, uh, have great backgrounds? What's going on? Well, I was I was I was just on Tinder looking for somebody to love me the way you guys love VJ. I mean. <laughs> Got got any any more softballs left over there? You know? <laughs> so BJ, you're so awesome. Why are you so awesome? Oh, oh. No, he's great. Well, he's been great, I, man. I mean, he's probably one I of the youngest I, I love, I love ever at IBM, and I know you love him as well. Uh, he's yeah. one of the youngest CTOs ever um, in in, in yep. industry for a lot of places. So all the way from I, I absolutely love BJ, and he's he's one of the smartest people that I know by far. I just giving him a hard time. That's all. But no bullshit, no bullshit. I mean, that's kind all of all right. Hard. So so listen. So I, I said yes, you've sir. been in the industry for 27 years plus, but you wrote a blog that said I spent 29 years adopting channels for customer service. Dude, you got to What a great me, title. Me let me update my bios for you, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean I, I'm talking. Well, that that, that title got me right away. Twenty years of lessons. Uh, what were some of the lessons you learned adopting channels? Is voice still the most trusted way to connect with organizations? No, I wish you would have read my blog so you can ask a better question. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so let me update my bios first. I spent 32 years doing stuff related to customer service, one way or the other, since my very first job. I have done everything that you can do in customer service and I love every day of it and I, I love everything that I've done. Uh, I just, you know, learned a lot of things and, and, and the few things that I learned, I mean, that, that I distilled into that is, is very simple. Uh, whatever we did in the past, we're going to continue to do in the future. Uh, customers want an answer. They don't care where they get it from. Uh, the whole concept of like, you know, automation sucks. No, it doesn't. Give me an answer fast. I'll take it from my robot. I'll take it from my kid. I don't care where it comes from. You know, if I can go in a community and get an answer, I don't need the vendor to tell me what the answer is. But who says that the vendor knows better than anybody else in the world? You know, it's, it's the, the disappearance of customer service that I predicted will happen by 2025 is still on track as it's always been. 90% of the interactions that are customer service will be automated through AI and other, and other tools. So like they never happen, or if they happen to get resolved without human participation, the other 10% will be resolved in, you know, via multiple channels and solutions, but the whole concept of like customer service and contact centers and a specialized function, why? If I have a problem, I don't want somebody who like, you know, got trained on one thing to tell me that they don't know what they're doing. I want whoever knows how to do it. To think of it. <laughs> hey, what, so you mean wait, zero pound is going to go away? What am I going to do, man? I've lived my whole life hitting zero pound. Yeah. But, well, but, yeah. <laughs> so you said, you said in the post, you said the top five priorities are customer experience, yes. customer engagement, mobile customer service, knowledge everywhere, anywhere, and proactive customer service. You said the biggest advance was mobile customer service, biggest decline, social customer service, which was yeah. surprising. Uh, but, but the head scratcher was cloud migration. Talk about that. Yeah. Why was that a head scratcher? So, so, so let's go first. Social customer service is not only not a priority, it's nothing that you should do. Now that we got that out of the way, don't even try it, right? Cloud migration. I mean, you would think that a, that, that a function that has, name your number, right? I mean, the average number of uh, agents in a call center is 120. So let's use 120. You got 120 people working on a computer tied to, a, to, a, tied to some system, and they have no way of doing anything other than like, you know, this big monster screen with 65,000 little data pieces that are irrelevant. I mean, you would think they want to go to the cloud. You would think they want to adopt a platform. You would think they want to adopt mobile devices. You would think they want to adopt low-code, low-code applications. It sounds like I'm doing a, you know, a, 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 an ad for Salesforce now, but it's, I'm not because there's more people that do it. 
But the concept is like, you know, what, he's just want an answer. You don't want 120 people that you need to manage to try to all get to the same answer at the same time. I mean, you need to migrate. Cloud is the first step. Once you get to cloud, you can get on platform. Once you get on platform, you can develop your own small apps. When you develop your own small apps, the whole concept gets blown away. You automate, you're done. End of the story. That's the next you, you You wrote a killer blog on platform, but I'll let Ray ask a question. But that was, that was your, your most recent <laughs> blog was a killer blog on platform. Which I mean, I, 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 let's talk platforms and then let's jump into your favorite topic around Facebook. And by the way, Vijay says you are the awesomest dude ever. So I don't know what to do with that. Um, that's in the comments. Well, I, found, I found somebody who loves me. Yeah. But I took the softballs and left the curveballs for you. So uh, anyways, <laughs> do you want to revise your comment? No, I was kidding. <laughs> no, I, I, I told you I love Vijay. I was just making fun of you guys, not him. Oh, damn, I couldn't So in your, in your platform blog, you, you had like these three pillars. You said age of the customer, citizen yeah. programmer, and digital transformation. Yeah. End-to-end -end experience at the bottom of the pillars. Yeah, that's the next decade for, for, for so that's the next decade for businesses. You know, you, you as a business, you need to get to deliver end-to-end -end experiences. And you know, here's a critical part of the experience. The experience is what know you as a business aside, the experience is what the customer decides each and every time they come to you. They can decide that they want to do a short call today and send you a text tomorrow and do an email next week with a lot of information and you need to be able to deliver all three equally. Right. So you've got to deliver those end-to-end -end experiences. And to get there, you're going to leverage digital transformation, not because it gives you access to data, but because like you were saying at the beginning, you asked this question from VG really well. This is about changing your business. It's not about getting better data to the right places. Right. No. When you change your business, that's when you get to digital transformation. Getting better data from A to C, I could have done that 20 years ago with these and files. Actually, I did that 20 years ago with these and files. That's not the point. The point is like, you know, data is absolutely useless unless you apply it properly. And applying properly is what digital transformation is all about. Is if you get the data to the right place, do something with it. And what do you do with it? You recognize that the customer has control, which is why they get to decide on the experience. And you decide that like, you know, through low code, no code, citizen programmers, whatever you want to call it, Anybody can actually create this very tiny little piece of, of, of execution code every single time they use it that does exactly what they want and they can either use it again or never use it again. It doesn't matter. Well, it, and comes that's with bears. it comes with bears, animals, a whole national park if you do it right, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, I'm hey, stop that. Stop that. Way, Aubrey, our I know Aubrey, our producer, is watching. Aubrey, please go to Think Jar. Take the latest blog from Esteban. He's got graphical representation of what modern platforms should look like and these pillars of, of excellence. So we want to share it on the chat line. So I did, you know, while you're there, you know, keep in mind that without promoting anybody else in the show, I mean, this is a this is part of a three video webinar series I did with yeah. Microsoft that was so incredible that we got, we got 400 people the first one, 700 people the, the second one, and almost 1,200 people on the third one. And that was all in word of mouth because the content was so awesome. That's who I am. And you're not on Twitter, so I don't, it could have been three times that if you were still on the platform. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's that. Or, or if you did Facebook Live. No, okay, let's get on uh, Facebook. Let's, talk, let's, so, so let's talk Facebook. Everybody wants to talk Facebook today, and they, they're asking yeah. you, they want your opinion. What about this Facebook fiasco? It's not a fiasco. I mean, Facebook did, the, the only fiasco that Facebook, that Facebook only did was in, in 2006, 2007, when they recasted the platform and they decided that we're going to go and capture the, the, the graph of your friends and all the information from your friends via you. And they actually put it out there. People said, hey, sign me up. Sounds like a lot of fun. Let's do this, right? In 2011, 2012, they started deploying applications with that. That's when I left because in one of the changes to privacy they said, they said, we can, we can access all your, all your friends' information without your permission. 
Okay. Oh, and at this point, yeah. nobody's best friend said, like, wait, you can actually get all my information and all my friends' information just by me playing Angry Birds. Yes, I can. And I will. And I will use it. And you agree to it. So the only fiasco for Facebook is not that they actually did what they were supposed to do, what they said they would do. It's not that somebody created an application doing what, doing what Facebook allowed them to do and they kept the information. It's not that they sold that information to a third party, which that is a whole different you know, discussion that we can have. But it's the fact that Facebook got caught. After like 10 years, finally Facebook got caught and now they're saying, oh, we're very sorry that we did what we did. No, you didn't. You wrote $50 billion in revenue in the back of that, what you did. You, you stole everybody's privacy and they, they gladly gave it to you so they could get to kitties and pictures of their old girlfriends and boyfriends in, in exchange for nothing, just, just so you can sell that data. But, but, but you check the terms of service, dude. Nobody read that freaking terms of service. Okay, I left Facebook six, six years ago, I think, six, five, six, whatever. I left Facebook. Ever since then, there are a couple of times that I needed to get to Facebook. Tinder, I'll be honest. Tinder, <laughs> I, I, I went to Facebook and I said, I'll set up for a Facebook. You went with the Facebook profile was validation that you're a real person on Tinder? You gotta be kidding. Oh, this, this, this is a whole different discussion. This is because Tinder can access all the friends about you and your friends and they use that to build your psycho psychographic profile so they know who to introduce you to. So when so, you go to Tinder, you're not going to Tinder, you're bringing your whole friends with, with you. Oh, wow. You know, but that's a whole different. tribe. So that's 2.3 billion monthly active users. That's one in three, everyone on earth. And yet there's three of us here. And I don't believe any of us are active on Facebook. No. Uh, why, why would you be active on Facebook? I mean, seriously, at this point by now, you're going to be, I'm sorry, you really got to be stupid or willing to compromise your privacy in exchange for kids. There's a lot of people on there, including probably a lot of your clients. So it's just <laughs> 2.2 billion people have you know now been told that they are stupid. No, they, they were just. <laughs> somebody, somebody said the other day on LinkedIn, it's like, you know, the problem is not that, you know, Facebook got caught. The problem is that people got finally noticed that they were stupid. That's what they're upset about, you know. Well, I mean, it's an interesting PR crisis. Like, how do you how do you recover from that? Like, you sign the TOS, or what? What do you just say? No, no. So, so I mean, the, how do you recover? Is you say like, you know, we got caught with the cookie cookie in the jar, so we're gonna do it right. We're gonna get rid of all the stuff that we've been doing, and we're gonna do it the right way. But we're guess what? We're just gonna steal from you. We're just gonna steal from you blatantly. <laughs> well, but I mean, you don't get to make money that way. So, so Facebook was a transformation from demographic data usage for targeting profiles to psychographic data usage for targeting profiles. Yeah, right. And that's a huge thing. Imagine, imagine if you were to say like, you know, instead of me being a 50 year old white male who lives in a privileged place, right? You know, I am, I am you know, I, I like all these things, which I won't say what I like. These are my likes, my dislikes, my fetishes. These are the things that I'm afraid of. These are the things that, you know, that, 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 that I, I care about. And then based on that, and what my friends like and dislike, you can put a profile where you can say, this is the information that I know you're gonna react to. And that's what I do. And then you vote for Donald Trump. Hey, you know, Rodrigo. <laughs> now uh, everyone take, knows take you. Take take now, Rodrigo, Rodrigo asked, hey, let's do a poll on Facebook. And our <laughs> producer has put one up. Uh, quickly, who's on Facebook? Do a quick poll, folks that are there. I'm kind of curious as to see who's going to be up there. But definitely check out the polling that's going on there. Um, so, okay. Facebook goes like bonkers with this. And then the same week, Google News announces a whole set of new services. Did you see that? Yeah, because Google News is shaking in their boots thinking that they're next. They do the exact same thing that Facebook is doing, dude. They just, they don't go into your friends, but they have the same amount of information, probably more than Facebook has on you. And they, they created psychological profiles of you. That, that's how they get to get you the right ads. So Google and Apple and Netflix and, and, and Amazon, they're all going like, you know, hey, Facebook, take it, take it, because otherwise we have to take it. 
all these guys are doing the same thing. And, and the, the Google News is actually interesting because what it's doing is saying what Facebook should be doing. They said, we screwed up by letting fake news take over, take over our platform. We're going to do it right. And this is what we're doing about it. It wasn't fake news. It was mass personalization at scale. Come on. You got the news you wanted to hear. Why bother? This is the age of context. So, 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 you're, my, so you're, you're working on research on AI. Can, will, will the research speak to some of the ethics and privacy and misuse of no. data to do this type of targeted advertising? No, because I believe that ethics is a separate uh, issue from AI. I mean, you cannot tie ethics only to AI. We're not going to talk about Uber and whether the person was killed or not, because that's not an ethics issue, right? Mm -hmm. That's the problem. When we make it an ethical issue, then we, we miss out on the innovation of technology. Technology and ethics are two very separate things. And what you want to focus on in ethics, separate from everything else. I mean, we all took ethics in college, at least one course. Right. Some of us took more, some of you took less, whatever. But the thing is like, you know, you know what ethics is. It's doing the right thing when nobody's watching. That's what ethics comes down to. Right. So I mean if you're gonna if you're gonna take on ethics, you take it as a separate issue and then permits everything you do, not just AI. If you only do it for AI, then guess what? Facebook didn't get caught on that one because they were not doing AI. They were just doing basic analytics. It's just not the in the mission system. system. It was not in their yeah. mission and ethics, you know, eco ethos. It you know, they didn't say do no evil. So, you know. <laughs> no, Google did, and they are. But you know, that's not the point. The, the point is not do no evil. Even if you say do no evil, this ethics is your recognition of what's right and wrong. It's not everybody else's recognition. So ethics is not an issue that, that we need to address when doing this. We need to address the, the bias that goes into building algorithms and AI. We need to address the fact, like you know, what I believe is what the computer is going to do because I told the computer what to do, right? And how do we actually overcome that? How do we get like, you know, more than one person to tell the computer what to do? Uh, there's this whole concept of uh, antagonistic networks now. I don't know if you read about it. In AI, where you have two machines going in opposite directions, trying to get to the same result and going through the data and learning from each other. That's one step in the right direction. But I need more than two. I need a hundred, yeah, a thousand. I need a million computers all working on the problem from different perspectives and all contributing to each other so they all learn what's the right way to do it. Not because I said so, but because a million different people said so. That's ethics. It's not about like, you know, killing a, a, a baby or an old person in a sidewalk. Sure. So let's, let me rephrase it. Given the use of machine learning or AI sciences to create more sophisticated uh, news that may not be so accurate, how do companies deal with whether it's cybersecurity threats that are rooted in, in AI technologies or mass personalization at scale that's fake. What do companies that's, that's a, so, that, so that's a tall, tall order. How, do, how, do I, how does a company you know, deal with these issues? I mean, first of all, Ray said it before, you have to have an ethos, you know, not an ethical ethos, but you have to have an ethos. What am I trying to do here? Am I trying to make money off people's psychographic profiles? Then you're going to stoop to whatever level it takes. That's what Facebook did. They, they said what they were doing. You got to give them credit. They didn't hide it. They said from the beginning in the terminal services, this is what we're doing. You do this, you agree to do it with us. And the people agree. I mean, yes, informed consent, we can have the whole conversation later. But like, you know, you have, a, you have an ethos. What am I trying to do? Make your ethos public. People need to know what you're trying to do. People need to know how you're doing. And then they make the decision. And then we go back to the same discussion we were having earlier. I mean, are, are people pissed off because Facebook did it? Or are people pissed off because they were found to be stupid and not paying attention to what Facebook was doing? Both. Yeah. 
Yeah. You don't have to answer that because I know you're a nice guy. <laughs> oh, right. Well, I would say, hey, you know, this is it for Esteban Kolsky. You're not going to have to follow him on Twitter. He doesn't have a Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. look him on Facebook. Just check out his blog on ThinkJar. I think that's probably the most thing. You're here live with Esteban Kolsky, principal and Thank founder you. at ThinkJar, Enterprise Irregular, Disrupt TV, multiple alum. Where are you um, next? Where are you next, Esteban? Where yeah, are you next? What's going on? What's hot? Uh, I'm in Maui starting tomorrow for a week of vacation with my kids. Wow. Wow. <laughs> right. Well, we, we won't say any more about that. That's pretty damn good. Yeah, and after that, you can find me at CRM Evolution in BC, April 9 and 10. Excellent. We'll be seeing pictures of the family on some social network, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll see them on Twitter. Look for them. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks a lot for being on the show, Esteban. Happy Disrupt TV Friday. Thanks, Thank Esteban. Bye-bye. One of our favorite guests, hands down. Um, it like it is. We're never going to worry about anything. We, maybe no, we no. Run, we don't have to run a seven-second delay on him either, right? But it's just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. And I think this is why companies go to him for advice, because there is no sugarcoating. He tells you as it is, and, and he's an incredibly smart guy. Hey, so, before, uh, we, before we announce next week's guests, like we always do, we're going to try something new. We're going to talk about what cool events are happening next week, which uh, a lot of us actually attend, sadly. <laughs> so, so yeah, tons of stuff's going on next week. Uh, for those who are in the identity business, like Monique was talking about, no identity conference is actually happening in D.C. Our own Steve Wilson's going to be out there. There's the Salesforce Trailhead event. Are you going to this one? It's huge. I, you know, I've, I've got a couple of speaking uh, assignments, including keynoting at Harvard uh, annual HR conference. So unfortunately, I'm going to miss it. Well, it's happening in San. It's happening in San Jose, I believe, or San Francisco. Let me double check. San Francisco. Yeah, it's San Francisco. So this Trailhead event's big, the 28th through 29th, um, and Nvidia is having their big conference in San Jose, um, the 27th to 29th. And then, of course, if you're an Infor user, their distribution event is actually happening in Phoenix at the Desert Ridge uh, Marriott. And then, of course, Adobe Summit is happening at the Sands Expo Center the 25th through 29th, which a good number of our folks are going to be at as well. So that's kind of the event update. If you've got an event you want to update on Disrupt TV Show, just let us know. Let Aubrey, our producer, at yeah. Aubrey underscore UT. And who do we have coming up for episode number? 100. <laughs> it's amazing. 100 episodes. Uh, we have uh, – David Kellogg, CEO of Host Analytics, as our guest. And we're going to talk about advanced analytics and the work that they're doing. Billy Bosworth, CEO of Data Stacks. So you can tell the theme for show 100 is how to build a data-driven culture and compete and win. And we have Virginia Runs Brilliant Leap. <laughs> Just back out, it's Runs uh, Brilliant Leap. And it's one of the oldest search and consulting firms. 30-year-old, 30-year-old search and consulting firm. Uh, she's a journalist uh, with publications on CMS Wire, Seeking Alpha, New York Post, Daily uh, uh, Telegraph, and others. So and, another jam-packed show uh, worthy of the 100 time slot. And uh, we're also going to be at CRM Evolution. Uh, at least Ray and I for one day will intersect hopefully in Washington, D.C. April 9 through 11, I believe. So it's if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Ray, closing remarks. Oh no. Happy Friday, everyone. Great to be home. <laughs> Enjoy your time with everyone. And if you have a loved one, hug them. <laughs> so. Absolutely. See you guys next week. Bye, everyone. Mm -hmm.